Welcome to Honest Talk about heartbreak, dating, and relationships. Relationships. The podcast helping you navigate your path to happy ever after with your host, Rob McPhillips. Good evening, everyone. So tonight we're talking about family relationships. So in the breakout rooms, you were talking about which is the family relationships that um, are most stressful or most complicated. Um, did anyone want to share? Okay. So there are, so I think there's vertical relationships, which are, um, so first of all, you've got your parents, um, and then later maybe you've got children, um, and then you've got horizontal relationships, which are like siblings, uh, maybe cousins. <coughs> Um, and then of course, when you, um, if you get into a relationship with someone else, you've then got a whole different family dynamic. And so when we look at the perennial problems in relationships, in romantic relationships, it's, um, money, sex, um, work and, um, families, um, so when you marry someone, you also marry a set of family and a, and a, and a culture that the family brings with it. And sometimes there can be a, a culture clash. Of those relationships, is there one that's more difficult that you find? So there's like sibling rivalry. There's parents, sometimes parents controlling, sometimes parents won't have a um, set idea of what you, you should be doing. Um, Sometimes you might feel that parents are not as involved. Um, uh, there's sibling rivalry. There's um, children, which are always bring their own stress. Um, or some, a new family that you inherit when you get into a relationship with someone. I think um, just for me, I think I was sharing with Ellen and... Um, yeah, so I think for me, it, uh, yeah, mostly, most definitely the vertical ones, the certainly more challenging, um, just because I think of the extent of kind of mood, my feelings, so the, their capacity to impact me is greater, I think, the vertical ones, so that for me would be the main ones that have a significant impact, I think. Yeah. That would be mainly parents and them. And then to across the, if you say vertical, also kind of intimate relationships of that, that don't influence those things. So they, they all do, I think. They all have that capacity to impact one's thoughts and emotions and feelings and how much of that, you know, how much power they have over you, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. It's a difficult subject, isn't it? Yes. Um, well, for those of you who have been in the group for a long time, like me, you will know that I have always had things to say about my, my grandfather in particular. And yeah, so the vertical becomes one of those um, very important uh, um, 
I suppose, hmm, I wouldn't call it a chapter, but it's a, an influence in, um, in it, well, it influences you forever, I think. It's how you manage it. That's that's the thing. So even though the experiences may have happened maybe in your childhood or early years before you are legally seen to be an adult, um, the influence is there forever. And I think it's the important thing is coming to grips with it, understanding why you react in a certain way and learn to manage it because if we are not careful once you're in their presence you revert to being what you were automatically and <laughs> and you have to be very careful so it's um i think i think it's a, a a learning experience in managing yourself how you react um and how you allow them to influence you and your behavior going forward because even last week my 90 year old um, uncle was at me hi child all the way from Miami and he's um, so I had to I, I put the email down for a bit and I said oh god <laughs> yeah let me read this this is bad news now but it was pleasant you know I mean I got a lot of love and I gave a lot of love so that was that was nice but under normal circumstances, sometimes when you hear from them, you just think, are they going to chastise me about something? Have you done something wrong? What is it now? And it's a lot of times it's stuff that you don't want to hear, be reminded of, or, you know, who is quarreling over what piece of legacy that was left by which aunt or uncle or grandparent or parent or something. It's... Yeah, so for some people, family is not, it doesn't fill you with nice, fuzzy, warm feelings. It kind of causes tension. It's interesting you bring up about like grandparents because the, so um, my granddad wasn't the, the nicest to his family. Um, and so um, I can see the impact of that on mum which then affected the way that she was um, and probably changed changed the things that were uh, um, like the way that she behaved and reacted. And I can see that then in my parenting. Um, and there's definitely roles. Uh, like who goes back at Christmas or on some family gathering and still finds themselves in the same family dynamics? It's very difficult to change that you can change like 30 years you've been adult um, and yet you go back into that and everyone seems to be in the same same set pattern of, of dynamics. Um, okay, so in, in the area of this, so like I said, there isn't really, um, I don't really have anything set out or any ideas but um the point of us being together is that we have different opinions we have different insights different challenges um and the things that we get stuck by the things that we don't see um and so sometimes just talking about an issue means that you're able to um it's like we think that everyone thinks how we think um, and it's the things that we believe that aren't true 
that are the things that keep us trapped. So if we're able to talk, um, then sometimes we can see the differences and the conflict between people, the friction in different views is how you can find the blind spots in your own, what I would call an operating system. So is there anything to do with relationships, family relationships that is relevant, that's um, still impacts you, that is worth talking about? I mean, even like this is a very important topic because I'm, I'm even just trying to talk about it is like, you know. So my mother is a deadlock and the mother figure, as I expressed in the group, um, what is, is very influential. If you have a father, he would also be, but the mother, I think, is really influential. And she, I did know until recently, she actually... Uh, influence all of my relationships, all of my life. And I didn't know she was doing such powerful actions. But anyway, so it came to the point I said deadlock. My ex is the one which is at the moment in, 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 I'm in total turmoil because he is very, very, he's an aggressor. So we're, we're having to communicate because I'm surviving on the money that I'm coming from the thing that we set up together. And he's, he's trying to take it away. And what I've come to, so I've prayed, I've prayed so he, for him to disappear from my life altogether. I did so much work on this just to push it away. And then recently I came to the understanding that actually it's of no use because doing that is not giving me the opportunity to really uh, learn from it. And also it's going to come back. It, it, it does keep actually coming back. The more I push him, it comes back because I'm not a good communicator. I'm also not very, well, I was not very good within myself, about myself. So he has given me the opportunity to really find myself and I really need to authentically communicate with him. And it was happening quite well the last few months. He's come back now. He's like, completely trying to take everything from me. So I'm, I'm stripped naked. And, and still now I realized the value that he has to me. It's, it's either stand in my own authority and say, it doesn't matter. I still stand. I still stand. And I'm not going to let that completely destroy my inner and so I'm, I'm hanging on those thread and I'm, I'm, I'm saying it in the group so that I can have the strength, <laughs> you know, to carry it forward. And I do have a backup. I, I know someone who really cares about me. So I'm in, in, in their arms, basically. <laughs> so that's giving me confidence uh, because I, I, I realize with my daughters, for instance, they have always, well, not always, but, you know, as they grew up, they have thrown things at me to completely smash me smash me up you know I've led them to be so good in themselves that they had the power and also the impulse to do this now when this comes with them and I have such issues now before I would say I'm no more a mother and then I quickly switch over but with the daughters I, I know the value of setting each other off. Now I've learned it that it's so important in our involvement. And that's why those, those people are so close to us because they are giving us the opportunity to really get in, inside ourselves. So when my daughter is, is getting really upset with me, I, I love it. She's able to express all her anger onto me. And I love it because I know she's going from this. So that's all I'm sharing. Thank you. <laughs> Like parents have such a, an impact on our romantic relationships. 
Um, there's like the idea of attachment theory. Um, attachment theory, if you're not familiar, is the idea that um, we learn. So like our first relationship is with our caregiver, usually our mom, maybe our dad or whoever's looking after us. Um, and that's our introduction to the world. And from that relationship, we learn the um, whether, like if we cry and if we need something because we're helpless, do can we trust them to give us what we need? Um, and if we have a very receptive, very caring um mother or care, caregiver, we learn to trust the world. We learn to trust that what we need is going to get given to us, that other people generally care and want to give us more. If we have a mum that's maybe stressed, maybe busy, maybe depressed, um, a mum that or, or a caregiver that doesn't do any of those things, that we cry and they don't pay any attention, that they're not going to give us our, what we need. They basically don't care. Um, we learn that we can't trust people. So the idea of attachment theory is that whatever style that we have of parent affects our trust level in going into a new relationship. And so um, those of us that were lucky that had a good parent um, we can get into a relationship and can trust people. People that um, were inconsistent um, learn to be a little bit more nervous and they need to be, they're a bit more needy in relationships. They need more reassurance. And some people learn to be afraid of intimacy. And so they'll avoid any kind of commitment or um they'll become frightened at, at the point of um, where someone matters to them. Where um, So there's that idea of, of attachment theory. There's also, when you look at Harville Hendricks, um, his work is, is that they suggest that we choose people like our parents in... Um, who recreate the similar dynamics that we were looking for from our parents. And um, in order to transcend that challenge. Um, so, so one question that's, um, I can't remember where I heard it from, but um, one question that's really insightful in talking to people is of your parents, who did you most want love, approval and respect from? So if you think about that, if you want to share, we can share. If not, you can keep it. But who was more important to you? And it, and it may not have been the one that you spent the most time with. It may be, you know, sometimes we seek the approval of the other one that has been more distant. Um, and then something else is... In those relationships, so in that dynamic, what did you feel you had to be to be loved by them? How did that change? Um, so um, a parent that 
approves of you doing well in school? Did you like try and say, look, oh, look I've done this? Or um, was it uh, apparent that um, you got approval from being pretty and, and well-kept or was it uh, an apparent that you got approval from achieving in sports and things like that? So just to um, um, kind of illustrate this, one of the things uh, when I looked up um, uh, personality styles as in Myers-Briggs um, and it was because uh, it, with my daughter, I was noticing that there was kind of a disconnect and when I looked at, um, I think it's please understand me, it's, the, the, it's about Myers-Briggs and there's basically four types. There's 16 personality types, but they fit into four categories. Um, and there's, uh, so there's, I think it's idealists, artisans, guardians, and rationals. <clears throat> and so my daughter is a guardian and I'm a rational. And the rationals are, go and find yourself and be whatever you are and just, just be true to yourself. And the guardians are follow the rules, uh, be a good girl, good boy, um, do everything you're told and look for approval. So my daughter was looking, who was like, look how well I'm done in school. Look, I've, I've done this and I've done this, um, looking for approval. And I was like, don't worry about school. Just, you know, what's, what's really important to you. Just do what's do you. And, um, so there's this mismatch. Um, and so sometimes the difference in our personality can be in how we unconsciously reward our children. And it can be what our children feel that they need to do to be, to, to get our approval. Um, and so when we look now as adults, we can look at those dynamics and just understand it's different styles. But as a child, it feels like your worthiness is dependent on the way that you act. Does that make sense? So it feels like you're getting approved of whatever the parent values. So it's probably worth, um, if we go into breakout rooms for probably five to 10 minutes to think about the impact our parents and the, our parents' style. And sometimes people are, are dramatically impacted by, um, you know, sometimes parents are neglectful. Sometimes not everyone gets born into great parents or, or parents who are having the best of times. Um, and then sometimes it can be just um, a misunderstanding or something that we observe that isn't really true that can dramatically affect us. Um, so if we think back to our parent relationships and how they might have impacted the course of our life and how we see ourselves. Okay, so does that make sense to everyone? Is anyone um, struck by anything that they'd like to share? Okay, so the, the, like the vertical is going to be like grandparents, parents, and then children. Um, and it's interesting... One of the things I think you get with children is however much you try to, to, to put in, um, I think there's a healthy stage where children will rebel and reject you. Um, and something interesting that um, in 
apparently in all species where they live in packs, um, during adolescence and young adulthood, humans and, and other species will create some kind of conflict. Um, and what they're really doing is testing, should they stay with the pack or should they go off and leave the pack? Um, adolescence is known to be a, a difficult period. In terms of parenting, um, are there any issues that you um, or any, do you have any points to say on it that's um, worth discussing? Anyone interested in discussing child relationships? Well, one of the things that I remember, oh, my son is all of 30, so it's been a while since he's <laughs> been a child, um, is having to consciously say, no, don't, because it's like you're going to repeat what you yourself hated when you were growing up, <laughs> you know, and it's um, like, okay, no, no, brakes. You have to put the brakes on there. No, you're not going down there because you hated it. You cannot do it. You cannot say the same thing. You cannot um, think. And of course, uh, what I found interesting was um, when we left Jamaica, my son was, not yet six years five right uh, and so he had well yeah he had had enough of um memories of jamaica and how he was being brought up and you know the cousins and all the rest of it and school and stuff and then coming here and going to a different type of school and meeting different people and i remember one day he said to me um mommy this is not jamaica you know <laughs> um, we, don't, we don't do that here and i said what, what what do you mean you must have respect for your elders you can't be calling anybody by their first name you're a child <laughs> and he just looked at me and he just like ah kind of thing i'm like oh dear god <laughs> Taking this back home to Jamaica, they are going to think that I have brought up a mother, an, an ill-bred child. <laughs> but I had to, I had to, you know, just really just bite my tongue and just suck it up, literally. <laughs> I rem I remember being told that by my mom. Um, if you go around someone's house, call them Mister, Mrs. Or what did mum say? Um, like the, the, the child's names, mum, dad or something. So like George's mum, George's dad. Yeah, so yeah, I, I, I was told that. Never, never would tell them by a first name. Um, okay, so there's one point on that I want to bring up because some of that is about how you're being judged as a parent, isn't it? Um, and so then there's the whole mesh of the other relationships are brought into your relationship. Um, and I think that is probably like with children it's not necessarily the behavior but how we perceive others are judging us as a parent on their behavior um so i think that kind of distorts like the direct relationship you have with your child because you can have a relationship with a child like, has anyone seen um what's the adam sandler film big daddy no one like it's a really sandler. funny film um <laughs> so it's this uh, adam sandler is this like um dropout who's just not taking life seriously and somehow he gets dropped he, he gets dropped the kid to look after um and 
he's letting them do what he wants. And he goes, I want to wear this like fancy dress. And they go, yeah, okay, you wear that fancy dress. Um, and the school are telling him, you know, you can't bring them up like this. You've got to do this. Like the story is like he finds his redemption through the child um, and they have this great relationship, but it's the school and it's everyone else um, putting pressure on him to change, um, you know, telling the child that they can't do that. Um, okay, so it, before we move on, is there anything anyone would like to discuss? Parent-child relationship, parenting? Yeah, um, I, I've got a little bit of a different point of view, I guess, in that um, I helped raise my sister, so I basically parented her. Um, and I don't know, I kind of find it annoying away, in a way um, when she's gone through her rebelliousness. Um, that it was aimed at me and not my mother. <laughs> but um, it's funny in that she, if she comes to me with a situation, like an issue, um, like how do I move forward? I feel like it's generally pretty clear, like she already knows the answer. And when I tell her, this is what I think, she tends to, even though she knows, yeah, this is what I need to do, this is how I need to move forward, um, she says, I know that it's, I know that's what I need to do, but because you've said it, I have to rebel. And I just think, <laughs> and I just think, yeah, no, you're 27 now. <laughs> Maybe. So it's kind of, I don't know. It's a bit, um, I find it a bit of an odd, an odd thing that, um, she would want to rebel simply because almost. Mm. So I guess that's part of her character, but, um, and it's really, it's really quite difficult to change those dynamics as well. Back to, because um, you know, I've always been a sister, but I've been a parent too. So to change that back to being sisters, um, I know that we've both. I've been trying to do it for like the past five years or so, and I know that she's wanted that as well as I have. Like, really wanted that change, but she also doesn't as well. Um, so yeah, it's kind of almost like you're being pulled two ways kind of thing. So it's a bit of a, an emotional roller coaster. <laughs> you feel like you're bashing your head against the wall quite a bit. But I think. Well, well, that's really that you are, because your sister's first. Um, and so you had a sister relationship and then it's changed. And so there's a, like power dynamics in sibling relationships um, and then it's changed. So I suppose the question is how much did she accept you as a parent and how much was still the older sister telling me like doing the parenting role? Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. I don't know. I think the, the roles were mixed since she was born, I guess. Yeah. So, but, um, yeah. Who <laughs> thought? Any 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 trick any tricks out there that um, <laughs> can help me in this conundrum? Or <laughs> no, how we're at the Marshall? Yeah, I I think it's very difficult. I think um, your sister has the awareness of that you're in that pattern. Mm. Um, so I think maybe you have to go deeper into that. Like what, because that, those dynamics are supported. There is like a framework that's supporting that, those dynamics. So it's challenging 
the framework, which is all the assumptions and expectations um, in that relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to talk about siblings in a minute. So maybe some of that will be um, relevant. I mean, uh, I wasn't going to say anything, but then Nicole spoke. <laughs> I've got something to say now. <laughs> um, basically, I would say, don't be a parent. <laughs> Because the the richness of the children picking up on their own is also, I mean, saying that, I've had no direction from my mother and I've really totally suffered. But the richness of the experiences I've had through the suffering, um, and and I I don't say that children should suffer. No, I don't say that. But uh, I, I wasn't really a good parent in the sense that I let them be. I let them be and I let them learn and I let them learn together. They're of the same age, kind of, you know, schools. And 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 what I look at them today and I'm thinking, wow, amazing children, amazing people on their own. They have so much confidence. And I mean, they are saying to me, Mama, can't you be a mother to us? You know, why aren't you a mother to us? Why are you our child? You know, I'm like a child towards them. But um, I, I I can say that not being a good mother, being a child to them, when I look at them, I'm in awe. So I I do think that not to be too much of a good parent is very good. That's it. Yeah, I I, I was much more um, like find yourself and and, um, never really had strict routines or structures but more um i always think if people are happy and healthy um that's the way that they grow best uh sabila hey i i feel triggered but i just wanted to add like build upon when nicole said um my experience has been similar like when i moved out for uni and I did my own thing. I have two younger sisters who also moved out and did their own thing, but we come from a culture where that's not acceptable. So when they did that, their reasoning was always, Basab did this, why can't we? And I remember a couple of years ago when we were together and they tried to give me credit for that, that you broke down this barrier and it made it easier for us to walk through. And my body rejected the praise because for me, it felt like, I struggled through this. I argued through this and I feel like it was easier for them because that gate was already open and they just had to walk through it and put the blame on me. So your eldest child? Um, I have an older brother. I'm second eldest, yes. And, and the other, your other siblings were girls? Yep. My two sisters younger than me. Mm. So it feels like you had to do the work and you had to go through the hard stuff um and then it was so much easier for them yep i i wouldn't have minded it if like i don't want to i don't i don't want to sit here and put blame on anybody but it would have been easier if they if everybody did it on their own terms i didn't like how it was basab did this so all the guilt and blame would be thrown at me while they did their thing rather than them owning their own sense of individuality and thinking and saying i'm doing this for myself I'm not following anybody. This is just what I need to do right now. Mm. So that's why I reject that praise because it just felt like I opened this gate and they just walked through it. Okay. But you recognise that you were the trailblazer. I have been going to therapy for two years and my therapist says the same thing. 
like all this trauma is inherited and it's generational like it stems back like there's a certain way to be and if you're not that way breaking that you you're obviously somebody you're breaking something you're breaking generational trauma um because also there's uh so the so like there, there was a fight there was a fight for you to be individual um and that fight was against your parents but um in the same way when we talked about um with with Sandra about the perception of others on your parents isn't this there's some of that um that your parents is it like they really believed that this was the way for you or that there was a lot of pressure on them and it would reflect on them if if you weren't conforming definitely the latter I think they were brought up a certain way and they thought that's the right way. It was about pride and it's about what people will think and what society will think and what the community will think. And because the culture is so dominating, they needed to follow that path. That's why they were so stubborn in their own mindset. Yeah. If you, but I, I feel if they separated themselves from that, they would agree with me, but they would never admit that out loud. Yeah. Yeah, so... so there's also a cultural element that families operate within the culture, which is often the struggle when you meet someone, someone different. It's like you don't realise that other families have completely different, all the things that you took for granted um, are maybe idiosyncratic to your family or to your, within your culture. Um, and it's still, still ongoing for you. Mm. I don't have these debates with my mum anymore because they're never healthy. We can never see eye to eye. So we just have, I would say our relationship is layered. Like if we take the layers away, there'd be a lot of hurt and sadness and regret, but we just numb it all down. And we just, at the face, we just say, hi, you okay? It's just mm. that sort of relationship. Mm. So it's really about identity. It's like identity within a culture of identity of who I am. Yeah. And it's also, I feel like my mum never sees me as my own person. Even now, I've been alive for 27 years and I think she still finds it hard to see me as my own person. I think she sees me as an extension of herself and how she needs to be and how people need to see her. Yeah. Are you happy with your achievements? Oh, happy? I need you to define what happiness means. Well, satisfied. Are you um, um, comfortable I, in yourself that you've done the best that you can do for yourself? I, For me, I feel like, and this is just for me, this is my personal story. I don't think there's any such thing as healing. I think we just we just get good at distracting ourselves. Because I think over the years, that's what I've, I've been able to do. Like people have come into my life, like my best friend, for example, and they just bring out a side of me that's happy. And as long as I, I'm on that path, I think I'm good. But do you think that you have achieved, oh, okay, the pain that you obviously have endured, um, has it been worth it in your mind, in your estimation? That what you have achieved? Well, I wish it never happened. Like I wish my story was different and it was easy, but I'm glad I am who I am. Like I'm glad I'm finding my purpose on this planet and I'm trying to figure out who I am because I could never follow my mom. Like if I went back now and I did what she wanted me to do, which would be 
probably to settle down and be a housewife and stay at home and not have any rights. I could do that, but the sacrifice isn't worth it. So I'd rather go, I'd rather just disengage from her and try to figure it out than go back. Well, my mother wanted me to be a nice mm, desk person with a lovely husband and I suppose the house and the two kids and the um, the dog and the mortgage, whatever, to fit the stereotype. <laughs> but um, nah, that wasn't me. I did the exact opposite. No, 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 no. Um, I think, yeah. Rob, correct me if I'm wrong. Is it that we place too much emphasis on the perception of having to have not just approval, but also what appears to be love and all of those good emotions that we think that we should have with our parents or get from our parents that we cannot be if we don't have those things from them, the approval, the... And in other words, is it that approval is tied into what we think is their love? Yeah, I definitely think that that's part of it. Um, I think there is a cultural story that we're supposed to be loved by our parents. Um, but parents are people like us. Um, there's no you don't have to qualify to be a parent. Um, and so there's a wide range of parents. Um, and sometimes parents, like if you look at adults, okay, and you look at the statistics and you can look at the levels of depression, the levels of anxiety and the levels of um, mental health and suicide and all of those rates, um, we're clearly not a well species. Um, and yet everyone goes on Facebook and as if they're the happiest they've ever been um, because no one wants to, there's a shame in feeling you're doing less than. Um, and I think, I think is I think is probably relevant in all cultures. So my family, both my parents are Irish. So there is an Irish thing of, um, there's sort of like a standard um, that you know, like you have to live up to, and and we were Catholic, and I remember our mum saying, "You have to be better than other people because you're Catholic," and all of this stuff. Um, so that that all comes to parents are imperfect, um, and. I look back and I would parent differently and I'm sure most parents would look back and go, oh, you know, I did this wrong. I could have done that better. Um, it's just the fact of we get sometimes too young. Um, so, um, yeah, so, so we start off and parents have an idea and there's a pressure to being a parent is there's a great pressure in trying to get it right. Um, and we don't always know where we're going. And if, if we look at, so like I often talk about a medieval mentality in terms of relationships. So parents think they know where you're going and 
so I see it with my daughters of uh, my daughters like yeah dad it's a different generation um like your generation got it all wrong and, and we know we're so, we're sorting out your problems um and you can see like an arrogance that like they haven't lived long enough to to have seen it go wrong um so yeah I, but but the, the cultural story is that your parents should love you um, and then you meet someone special and they change, that changes all your world and they will love you. And when that doesn't happen, we tend to think it's us. Okay, what's wrong? Why aren't they loving me? What do I need to change? Um, and we we don't always see behind that. So we don't see um, that it's kind of in, imperfect. Um, and this, at the risk of sounding really patronising, um, I think life is, is difficult, finding yourself is difficult, um, and like speaking to someone who's, who's close to, to double your age, I think it's still quite early um, to be taking score. So what I mean is that there, if you look at like the life, um, it's going to be like a, a, I think there's a dip when I look. So I was quite glad when I was in my forties, cause I remember going to like, a, my daughter was in a, a teens and she was having a birthday party and it was also a place where there were young parents. So they were all off doing this laser stuff and I was sitting there and I was watching and I, I thought the thirties was a horrible time um because you're tired you're stressed you've got kids everywhere and you've got no space um and so i was looking at watching these parents and and like 30 you should be like full of life and and everything going for you and these parents were just like shut up <laughs> you know and and the kids were there and they were t like, like they obviously weren't sleeping and they were bickering at each other um yeah and i i remember you know, like people, there's a glorification of youth in our culture. And I, but I remember the thirties has been like the hardest decade. Um, my daughters were young, um, hard, you're working, you've got children who are active and crying and all the different problems that they have. Whereas forties was much easier um, because the children were older. So I think, um, I think it's really hard in twenties and thirties because it, it's really a stage of when people are finding themselves in a career, they're finding themselves in parenting, finding themselves in relationships. Um, and statistically people there's like culturally, there's a glorification of twenties and thirties. Um, yeah. Forties definitely better. Um, and yet, if we look at the statistics, people are happier, older people are happier than younger people. Um, and I think that's because you come to resolve a lot of those things. Cause I, I think like you grow up, the first 20 years are with like your family of origin. The next 20 years are kind of finding yourself in, um, in that journey of like, what do I want to do as a career? Who do I want to be around? Who do I want as um, um, in relationships? 
um, am I going to have children or not? And then um, I think like developing, like developing your own family, then you, you start to have like put your own stamp of what you want to recreate from the parent, from the problems that you've had in your own um, personal relationships. Um, and then it's like forties and fifties where you start to see the mistakes that you've had. But um, for the people who are kind of my age and up, um, once you've reached maybe 50, um, like 45, 50, you could like, do you see like the, you see cycles of the same things have happened and you start to see in enough seasons that you can um, link back um, and have a little bit more distance from those relationships. So I don't know if that makes any sense or if it's patronising from someone who's making an excuse for their boldness and oldness. I think it feels like things don't say raw, even though those relationships are still very much part of your fabric, but it's not as raw as it would have been. And I think I really agree with what you're saying, that it is a miss that you have parenting, particularly because mine's been very complicated. It's not been um, straightforward like a mother or a father. It was my grandmother, and then I discovered who my mother was afterwards, and then I saw my father very late. So it's a very difficult so from that I think what I take is actually the fact that parenting is a myth that you almost think you you know our culture does make us almost we assume that that's what we should be given as you're born but actually that's not the case that's just if you either have it sometimes or you don't so yes I totally agree with what you're saying about you know it is a kind of a myth but it's obviously you have to navigate it because it still has a massive impact on you. So even if it's a myth, it still shapes who you are and forms who you are and your kind of, you know, engagement with your environment as well and your relationships or lack of or whichever, however you influence them. But that is a very tough um, road, I think. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I can, I can remember leaving home in my 20s and um, I left home when I was... Well, I left when I was 18 and then 20. Um, and you start to see all the things in your family dynamics that you disagree with. Um, and early on, it's, it's very, um, like if you argue, it's very volatile um, because it's you rejecting them. Um, and I remember talking to my mum, like my mum was Catholic and this is right. And I'm like, um, you know, like you should come to church. And, and I remember going to church on the like midnight mass at Christmas. Um, and there's all this preaching of um, love and compassion. Um, and so it was, it was London, so it was a busy church. And I remember mum pushing me out to, to barge in to be in the queue for communion. And I was like, what was the hypocrisy in that? Um, she goes, oh, you, you'll never get out otherwise. Well, hold on, it's like peace to all men. So, so it's like you're like in the in the church, it's peace be with you, and you do the handshake, and then um, about a couple of minutes later, you're going up for communion, and just like, yeah, peace, peace be with you, peace be with you, and then yeah, go and get help. Um, and I was like, don't you see the contradiction in that? And I remember 
because I questioned everything about religion and, and we had discussion about it. And I, I just remember her saying, like, I'm not talking to you anymore because you'll change my mind. Um, and it was because her identity was Christian and, and it was it was a nice way of believing because if I do this, I go to heaven and, and that, whereas question it made it uncomfortable. Um, and sometimes, so I remember being a lot more, um, how would you say, a lot more anti-religion um, at the time. Um, and it was because I saw that people used it as, it's like a, a nice comfortable package that you don't have to challenge, you don't have to go through that angst of um, finding yourself and it's just very comfortable um, because it, it gives you the answers and you don't have to deal with the discomfort. And I think maybe some of the discomfort you're feeling is, which is why I'm talking about it being early in the, in the process, because if you look at the hero's journey from Joseph Campbell, which is that every great story is really a, an arc and it's leaving the existing world. Um, and I would frame that kind of conflict in in this, which is why I'm saying it's early, early days, because it's leaving the existing world. So it's leaving the world that you're you're known in. And then it's going through all those ordeals, which is um really about so that like Star Wars is the is the typical hero's journey. Was Star Wars was actually written directly using Joseph Campbell's framework. Um, the Matrix, the Lord of the Rings, all of these follow that same arc. And it's basically you leave the world and you're unsure whether you can make it um, and you meet these challenges um, and you find enemies and you find allies. Um, and then the real test is where you really doubt that you've got it in you to, to be able to come through um, and you face the test like bringing down the Death Star or um, getting the ring or whatever it is in Lord of the Rings, I can get into that. Or the Matrix where um, Neo has that fight where he's left in the Matrix and it's him against everyone and suddenly he finds he can just do this and that's the moment where he knows he's the one. Um, and so I think then you come out of that and that's when you've grown as a person. And so I think the challenge and the hardship um, are it's horrible to go through and none of us want to go through it, but I think it's what eventually makes us who we are later. But it's the fear of the unknown that um, keeps us many times um, hiding behind these various mantras and these various rituals and this framework within which you live because um, religion does that for you. It provides a space within which um, many questions are seemingly resolved for you. You don't have to go seek your own solution. It's there so you can get along, get on with other things. But um, coupled with that is the notion that Outside of that framing, there is this bad world with these unknown. It's like, you know, the land of the dragons and goblins and all kinds of things. And you're going to be bitten and eaten and, you know, and um, 
it's the same world. It's just that that frame has been um, removed from you, either voluntarily or or, or whatever. But um, it's, it then goes back to that whole thinking that these rules by which we live came about because of religion. Many of the rules that we, you know, thou shalt not kill, um, that's been there before we had organized religion. It's just framed in a different way. Um, and so I think if we can get our head around, our heads around that, that there is that fear, it's like going from light to darkness in a sense. The light is there. It's just that you're now going to have to consciously think of your own set of rules. And that's the hard part, I think, that we're afraid of. By which new set of rules do we now live? Mm. Yeah, I, um, I think what politics and religion does is it gives us those. Um, and it's, it's much easier because uh, politics is... You know, like Boris puts up a mandate, um, and oh yeah, yeah, I've got I've got it sorted, and um, people vote as a way of not having to take responsibilities for themselves. I think it, it, parents are so important. I mean, they bring you into the world. You're a little child, and you you really navigate through life. You know, through them really, and and they touch you. Until death, probably until unless you know you suddenly wake up about yourself and then you release them and you, you go into yourself, which is a very good point. Uh, so I think love, love is 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 the fundamental. I think with love, anybody can flourish. It, it, it doesn't matter if you don't know how to 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 teach or or to be a model. If they know that you are non-judgmental and love, I think anybody can flourish. But now I, I'm understanding that, you know, it's a bit pessimistic, but after hearing everything, I, I feel to say that we come in this world and a lot of them have got beautiful parents and beautiful children. But from, from my experiences, I came into this world lonely during my childhood, lonely during the life and now the children have left. So I'm alone. I was alone to start with. I'm alone to, and I've just got to deal with that, that, we, we're just alone at the end of the day. We may have good relationships, but we, we ju we're just alone and we're going to live alone. So I'm, I'm, I'm coming to, and all the, the, the learnings I've had, I'm coming to, to realize that, I mean, my children are coming to see me in three days. I'm going to be so ecstatic. They're going to be so happy. And then straight after that, they're leaving. I'll be a bit sad. And then I'll come back to my aloneness. At the moment, I'm okay with my aloneness. Thank God. <laughs> But, you know, I've been times where, no, I've not been okay with it. So it's really, it's really amazing to come to that point of being okay with yourself. I would change the word from aloneness to being um, a friend to myself. I'm my friend. I'm my own friend. Rather than saying that um, I'm alone. Because being... A, Hinting that you're alone to me seems as though there is something missing, that there's something lacking, that you're not fulfilled, you're looking for something. And Veronique, I don't think you are. I think you are wonderful. I think you're bubbly and lovely. I think you're so um so I think you're you're complete. I understand what you're saying because I miss my son, you know, he's not around, but um, but 
as a person, as an entity, I like myself. So if I'm by myself, I'm still whole. I'm not any less. It's just that with people, yeah, they complement and bring out other things in you. Um, and I think that's what you are. I think you're still, yeah, your your children will come and they go. But I think you still are the same whole person that you are when they're around. I have a question. So um, right now I'm in my 20s and I've been um, wondering what are the reasons um, that people decide to have children? For example, we've been talking about all the trauma people go through, all the uncertainty, the mental um, illness. Why do women still decide to have children even when they know they're not ready or that motherhood is not for them? Why go through that journey when you just know it's not going to work? I will say that personally, um, I've never wanted children. And I think it's quite interesting um, the kind of pressure that um, society puts on you, actually, for that. I don't know if it's just for women or if it's for men as well. It's sort of calmed down a little bit now. I think it's as I've gotten to a certain age, people stop asking, which is bloody lovely. But um, women especially, actually, when they've asked me, oh, you know, do you want children? And I've said, no, I've known since 12 that I just don't want them. You know, I bought up a child. It was brilliant. Loved it. Never wanted any myself. And the disdain <laughs> that you get from some people. Um, I can't actually remember your original question. I don't want to ramble. But I think... Um, I think My question is, like, why do people decide to have children when they know it's the wrong decision for them? Like, is it because of societal pressure? Is it because of loneliness? Or, I don't know, um, trying to compare themselves, trying to keep up with the Joneses? I, I don't know what the answer is but i see a lot of women having children and i just feel like you are not fit to be a mother like you don't have that gene in you personally i would say because i never really looked to have children and for for a long time i never did and suddenly i kept having them and having them and i never wanted them so it, it feels to me that it's the individual that brings out the children because they're supposed to have them i won't go into all the other stuff the contracts and all that stuff but we already know when we come here and and um, a lot of people want to have children and they can't have because they are not supposed to have them so it's very much uh, an intuitive thing it's whatever it's supposed to be a thing that's how it is when you have them you have them and when you don't so even though this in the world we we we, we talk or we behave as though this is like this, but if, if, if it's not supposed to be, it won't happen. And so all the things that are happening is, is because you are supposed to have them. That's really what I believe because of my own experience. I like that answer. Thank you. I think just not a woman and um, maybe not qualified to answer, but I think life happens before we're ready for it um, in generally. Um, and I think, so what I see is a lot of people, people make kind of stumble from one situation to another. And maybe they think it's going to keep a relationship. Um, maybe they, they feel something lacking um, and they think a child will be the answer. Sometimes it's automatic pilot, um, biological clock. Um, 
the problem with life is that you don't know what's going to happen until you're in it. Um, and so um, we make the decision without knowing what's involved. Sorry, I want, I'm sorry in advance, but I feel like there's a selfish motive. Like personally, if I would have children in the future, I think that it'd be a selfish motive behind it. But I also feel as though in this world, there's empowerment. The definition of empowerment in our society is a person who has a mortgage, a family life, a big car, a big job. So I think maybe you want to fit in with that. So that's why you follow that track. You do what everybody else is doing because that's what you're supposed to do. And if you don't, you're questioned. Maybe, maybe that's why. But I, I raised my hand because I wanted to agree with what Sandra was saying. Like, I don't like this idea that someone's going to come and save you. Like, as a child, you fantasize that because you try and help yourself in those difficult situations. But in reality, only you are going to save yourself. And no one's going to love you and care for you the way you're going to love and care for yourself. Because I always tell my younger brother, I always tell him, the one person in this world who's going to care for you the most is you. And I wouldn't want him to believe it's someone external. Like another person can be an extension, but you know how we have that phrase that you're significant other. I don't like that because I'm a whole person in myself or I should be a whole person in myself. I shouldn't be half of another human being. So families should be an extension of us, like your partners and your children rather than who you are. Yeah, I think, I think that's very true. And I think um, what's really difficult is we live in a world where we're constantly marketed to by people, by products that are going to be our saviour. Um, and so many people give, like people don't take care of themselves and then they wonder why they've got diabetes or um, heart disease or something like that or why they're overweight um, and they want a product or someone else um, to do it and I think from school onwards culturally we're told school will take care of you if you fo if you follow our rules school religion politicians um, companies um, will take care of it um, Manju I just wanted to respond uh, to say that I think it for, uh, it's a combination of things. I know for me, what personal health has meant. I um, <clears throat> I think when I've been in the most difficult times in my early 20s and 30s, that was the time when I never wanted children. I had like almost a phobia of wanting children just because I did not think I could. I just did not want children because I think I'm just so very angry. But I think for my, def my definition of health has meant that as I've got older, and resolves of my own ideas about that, I have actually, did actually get to a stage where I felt, yeah, I, I'm actually now ready for children. I was quite amazed to see that transition for myself. So, but I think you're right, you know, for if you don't have an opportunity to come away from your environments, then we are continually just finding ourselves in situations where you don't actually think about the actions you're taking so I think the question earlier was why do women have children I think it's a, it's not just women but it's it's not directly the person's choice but it's the circumstances that they end up 
finding themselves and that's a combination of maybe not lacking in sex education maybe also family environments maybe peer peer groups so there's a lot of combination things but also there's an element of your own health as well if you feel empowered enough to go on that journey so you know, my Actually, I'd just like to add that it's a very difficult landscape um, that females find themselves in, in that it starts from the family members and the expectations. You know, it's a joke and then it becomes a serious discussion after a while, you know, when you're a teenager. Oh, you're going to get married and have children someday soon and you will know how, what it's like and that sort of thing and then as you get older it becomes a little bit more serious but then at school also the conversations tend to be about oh when you become parents sometimes you know that kind of thing and that expectation is there and then you go into the work world and you hear oh why should we um, hire you because in another two three years you're going to be going off and getting married and having children and um, you know if we have a man in the job he well he'll be here um, so we're going to train you and then you go off to have babies um, and that I, I got that in my first job and I was incensed um, <laughs> it took a lot out of me just to keep quiet because I found it quite insulting um, it was an American gentleman who thought that he had the right to tell me that I was going to get pregnant and have babies rather than um, look after my career um, yeah, and so there's that. And then, of course, if you are a member of a church of, you know, then there is that expectation that marriage is a part of, 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 of being a part of a congregation and so forth. So there are so many layers that we have to navigate. And it's almost as though ingrained in you that it is the done thing it is expected because everybody's saying it that you I remember my gynecologist looking at me after year three of my marriage and saying to me you know when you go for your annual checkup so do you think that you're having any difficulty getting pregnant and I said but I don't want to get pregnant no I said no not yet <laughs> so I mean so it's like even him he was thinking maybe we should book book you in for an examination I said no I don't need I just don't want to get pregnant <laughs> so um so, so it it comes at you and then of course you what do you say it's it's and it's like okay once you've had the first one ah because then the embarrassing questions also come. Um, is it you or is it the husband who's having the difficulty? Um, do you need to have, you know, maybe we should have this recommendation and that, okay, because that could help, you know, or you should go and see so-and-so if you're having any difficulties. Whisper, whisper, whisper. And then, of course, the parents, the, your parents, oh, when are we going to be grandparents? So it's there's no easy answer. It is, to me, for me, it was my stubborn nature. No, hell no. I'm doing it when I want to. And it was like, oh, well, yeah, hmm. I should do it now and get it over with. And I'm going to have one. <laughs> so that was it for me. <laughs> Maybe I don't have the maternal gene, you know, coming out of my wherever, but now nah, I have, I think some people are right, haven't thought about it and it's just accepted that it's going to happen. And when it happens, you go along with the flow 
whereas there are some people who consciously just don't want to have children and maybe it's the best decision that they, and I think we need to respect that because being a parent is hard and difficult and time consuming. And it's, if you can't give it your all, then I think we should just respect when somebody says, no, parenting is not for me. I think it's one of those things that you can never understand how hard it is until you do it. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think, I don't think you can, you can know. Um, it's like most things that you, you see the result of it. It's like everyone talks, like everyone wants to have written a book, but no one wants to write the book. Um, um, and like I, I got a dog um, a while ago and I didn't realise how hard that was going to be and, and how much work there's going to be involved in that. That's like parenting again. Um, but it's and it, like they talk about everyone wants the dog and they see, think of, oh, yeah, we'll get out for walks. Um, but you know, it's not actually walks. They just keep stopping and sniffing and pulling this way. Um, so the dream that you have is never the reality that you get. And people think of the children and they think of them dressed up and being perfectly behaved children, but they don't think about the, the wailing at 2 a.m. Um, and sometimes people's lives change. I think in a relationship, there's nothing, um, more challenging to a couple's relationship than having a baby. Um, there's the dynamics, there's the extra workload, there's the stress. Um, you, people think they're agreed until they have children. And then when they actually have to make the decisions, they realize how different they are. And also I think there's the evolutionary drive, um, to have children. Um, so we don't really know why, like I always knew that I wanted to have children. Um, I would have felt like I'd missed something not having them. Um, but I don't know that I was necessarily ready when I had them. And I know I wouldn't want children now um, at my age, but um, I know that I would be much more distanced um, and better able to parent than um, 20 years ago. The, I think the last relationship is really siblings. Uh, and siblings is really interesting because um, our, I think it's Alfred Adler, um, who was a student of Freud and where Freud thought that sex was um, at the root of everything, Adler disagreed and thought it was all about power. So he looked, one of the things that he believed was that your order of birth um, had an impact on your personality. So um, first child is generally loved. Um, it's the one that gets all the photographs, gets all the attention, um, and it's the novelty. It's the parent's first child. It's everyone, so everyone's paying attention. By the time the second one comes along, um, they have much less pictures, um, much less attention because you've already got this one going. Um, you've got to balance the two. There's the dynamics of jealousy and um, all of that. And then there's uh, like the youngest child. So I was one of three. Um, and I, I did, did notice 
that there was a bit of dynamic of so my daughter my daughter my sister was the only child for four years um and she had lots of attention uh and then i came along um and then uh four years later my brother came along there's something about four years in our family um and he demanded attention like none of us um and like it it wasn't i don't see i think middle i think there's a middle child syndrome where tend to be get less attention and, and be less um seeking of attention um but um i know my brother was he would demand attention and, and there was no way he wasn't going to get it and so i think there was a bit of a dynamic between my sister and him of of attention whereas i was more like playing football and not really um there in that dynamic but first children are supposed to be more conservative um because if you're if the status quo is that you get the most attention that you have the rank then you tend not to want to change the power dynamics younger children tend to be more rebellious um and more disruptive because if you're the baby of the family then you want to change the power dynamics so that you get more um and so they tend to be more disruptive and rebellious than um firstborn children so um has anyone got anything to mention in in terms of uh siblings and any of that dy- dynamics that you notice that happen in those relationships I do because I would generally completely agree with your statement but what I find or what I found anyway is that mothers like uh sons somehow it looks like I've looked around and somehow mothers always like sons so depending on the sex even though I was the eldest my mother adored my brother because on top of this because she 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 threw the father out and so it looks like the edipus thing is alive which means that fathers like the daughters and so if i didn't have a father but my mother loved my brother and it looks like this that then then the rejection of the daughter i don't think say that it's everywhere the same but i fully fully experienced that and i see a lot of uh, mothers around that they do tend to like the 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 daughter uh, the father the son and i see even in my own relationships how the males really like my daughters it, it's 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 a sexist thing you know i don't mean sex sex but i mean it's a sexist thing mm. in the human race that's what i really feel um before i before i had children i wanted sons um I got daughters and I'm quite happy that I got daughters and one of the reasons is that I noticed was there was a real um I noticed fathers and sons it was a difficult dynamic in that some were really competitive um and they would compete with their with their sons um and some were disappointed in their sons and they would be um 
as you say, like mocking or um, disparaging to their to their sons. Um, so I think it's probably quite difficult to be a dad to a to a son um, with those. Uh, Sabila. There's this short story I once read that I want to share, and it's a little baby child, boy child, in his crib, and the mother leaning over, and there being a warm moment, and the child witnesses the dad approach. So this big hairy bear approaches, and he takes his mother away, and that's obviously the husband taking his wife away. And the irony is, this this, this little child then doesn't like that that hairy figure that has just come and taken his mum away from him. But the irony in, in this is that that child grows up and he's that, then that hairy monster that's doing the same thing. Yeah, it's like dads and, and teenage sons. Um, it feels like there becomes a, a competition. I'm not sure, I, I don't, like I'm, um, I'm not sure it's like the Oedipus complex. I'm not sure how valid that is, but... Um, is definitely for this something, or I've noticed competition and a power struggle. Yeah, to be, and I'm using air quotes right now to be the man of the house. There's competition also between females. I mean, mothers and daughters too. Um, it just may take a different manifestation, but it's 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 it's, it's there, and um, it can also be very evident if it's a competition for father's attention. Um, because if daddy dotes on daughter and mommy feels left out, um, there can be difficulties as well. There, there can be, you know, it's, it, it, I, I think it, it all boils down to the personalities, the the needs of the individuals involved and the roles that they're expected to play and how they all fit together. Because some children can be very independent and really don't become part and parcel of that, um, you know, any tensions and tug of wars of for loyalty and for who loves who the most and those kinds of things. Um, and also, I think the number of children who are involved, uh, you know, it will play a part as well. So, um, and then, of course, it has to do with the parents as well, because some parents are really um, not good at hiding who their favorite child or children are. Uh, and that sets up quite a bit of, of rivalry and tension and... Um, and hurt, uh, and that again also has its own um, dynamic among the siblings. There's that dynamic between the parents and the children, but then there is that one, you know, among however many children there are. And it it for some people it affects you forever, all your life. Uh, Sabila, I was wondering. Does this tug of war exist in mother-in-law and daughter-in-law dynamic? Because say your mother, say a mother loves her child the wrong way and their child is their emotional partner because their husband weren't able to provide emotionally for them. Wouldn't they caption their son's wife as the other woman 
and there'd be a struggle of power and insecurity there as well, I feel. I don't know. Because I was married for two years of my life and I've, I'm going through a divorce right now. And that was one of my battles. Like there was a lot of insecurity and worry and you're taking our son away from us. I, I mean, I've, I feel like I'm a bit more tuned in to seeing male dynamics. Um, and I, so I think, um, so I feel like maybe I'm like being a man, I can't, this, um, I don't feel like I'm really as tuned in to understand female dynamics as much. Well, I was lucky. I married son number five out of five boys. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> I was way down on the bottom of the totem board. <laughs> and son number one was absolutely perfect. You know, those, you know, those, those first children who are just absolutely perfect and they fulfill all of the desires of the parents so there is no need for any other child to do anything <laughs> i mean because son 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 was just absolutely a saint so everybody was below that you know so you could live your life you could do pretty much what you what you needed to do without parents in law poking noses into your affairs so I don't know, um, but I, I think though that um, we still, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter um, what the dynamics are in the your immediate family, your extended family, your in-laws, those all of those familiar relationships that. I suppose, uh, are with you on a daily basis. You don't get a break. You are always uh, somebody's um, daughter, somebody's granddaughter or sister or, or brother or whatever. I still think that there is a need for us to be able to understand our place within that setup, whichever that setup is, and to um, try and establish uh, an identity for ourselves within that within that space um, and not let it be assumed that that we are this person that everybody has this perception of us that we are trying to compete to meet you know the different perceptions we're trying to be that for everybody for the different people because then you are not yourself you are always seeking to get approval from somebody um, based on who they think you ought to be and what persona you should have at that particular point in time, you know, in terms of your interaction. I think it's how does one, so the question then becomes, how does one claim one's autonomy and establish one's self that people um, react to rather than seek to define for you? I think um, it, with the sibling rivalry and also just parental um, relationships as well, I think obviously there is a difference between uh, the dynamics between a daughter and a mother and, and maybe the kind of male side as well. Uh, but it is fundamentally, in my experience, it's 
it's kind of have competing needs isn't it? everyone's trying to meet their needs in quite a fucked up way basically so it can be but uh, I think that's really what's been my experience that everyone's trying to get their needs met or, or not met but they're just done in a very different way between women and men maybe I don't know if that's my kind of I, I've had experience where I've been in a uh, step relationship with my stepmother uh, so it's I've been at the uh, receiving end of where somebody feels quite threatened because I was from the first marriage and I've been in relationships where I've been a, to my you know to my step siblings I've been I've kind of helped them grow up as well so and I've also got an older sister who I met a lot later and also to some extent felt the need to parent her a little bit so it's been kind of cross you know it's all all of them have been very much about trying to get your needs met or not within the standard. Uh, I mean, uh, sorry, sorry, And um, I was just trying to, to figure it out because um, I've, I've had the experience of the girls and versus the boy. And it's true that the boy is so much less problem. The girls have created so much problem, so much heartache, so much suffering. And we do that to each other. And I, I just figured it out when I was listening to everyone. The girls are more emotional. And also there's, there's a mirroring, the very strong mirroring of female to female. And so that's why it's, it's, it was so destructive. Well, that's in my experience. I'm not talking about generally, but, um, you know, when we're looking at, at, um, at the sexist thing that I was saying, you know, this way and that way, it is it, just so much more, uh, the, the, it's so much more, uh, pleasant. This relationship is so much more pleasant. And I've, I've just realized it, even with my mother, the, the reason that we are, we are first of all, the, the female is very emotional and responsive, whereas the male seems to be more cool, he's got a more neutral mind. So I think that has a lot to do with, with the, the mechanics of, of the, the female uh, daughters and, and, you know, relationships down the line, because it's so true that even though I, I didn't want to be like my mother, rejecting daughters, I totally embraced them, even to have the third one. When I knew I was going to have a third one, I said, I choose a female, even though the male just gave me so much pleasure. And, and the, the, the male really likes me and we are so close together. Can't, can't explain it more than that. It's, it's, it's the mirroring is very strong, mm. especially in our instance. Yeah, I think I think it's um, as Manju says. It's, it's really about everyone's trying to get their needs met, um, and all of the other dynamics are overlaid over that. Um, and I think I think there's the. We're, we've all come from a culture of patriarchy. Um, and what happens in patriarchy is the man is supposed to be the, a man is defined as a man by being head of the household and having people being the leader um, and having his, um, like a man was always the one that made the decision. A man or was perceived as making the decision and he wasn't a real man if he was questioned and if he wasn't followed. And so for men, I think there's a, an element of power and an element of force. And the side effect of that is that women weren't 
allowed to talk. Women weren't allowed to be open about um, disagreement, about doubt, um, or um, in not following. And so I think what that generated was a culture where women had to be under the radar. And so there's a level of manipulativeness in um, not overtly expressing disagreement, but using more subtle um, ways of manoeuvring people to the way that they thought. Because if a man couldn't lose face but didn't know what to do, he would accept um, guidance or input if it was put subtly enough that it didn't threaten his position. And so I think there's a communication style where men aren't allowed to show doubt um, and women aren't allowed to overtly disagree. And I think this is like culturally embedded over hundreds and thousands of years, which affects our communication style now. I think we've resolved that then. <laughs> yeah, I, I think there's that, that general, it's about people want their needs met and people are trying to get those needs met. Um, and they're using any which way, but there's so much because of all these cultural pressures that it's like the iceberg, this much is above, and there's so much of communication is below the radar um, because of shame, because of the dynamics, um, and because it's below the radar, we don't know what's going on, and we can't deal with it, um, and so we just see the effects but don't understand what's going on. Um, Sabila. Uh, trigger warning, um, suicidal rates in the UK are higher in men than in women. So I feel like it's fair to say that's because men are caged into this idea of toxic masculinity and they're told you can't cry, you can't show emotions, you can't be expressive emotionally and that confuses them because they're trapped in this idea of toxic masculinity. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think, yeah, it's because it's okay for a woman to, to, to be emotional, to want help. Um, it's much harder. Um, women have networks, men don't. Um, and there is this dynamic of, so, so the problem with force, which is what men are taught with, is you either overpower or you break. And so people who use force in relationships break relationships. Um, yeah, and then and then there just becomes this bitterness and there's lots of men sinking into um, bitterness. And I think, you know, like this incel and red pill movements and things are just full of bitter men that haven't, um, are still using force in a way that they can never um, get what they want. So that's, family relationships um before we go has anyone got any um comments um comments insights thoughts to leave us with it's really helpful i think we covered a range of different things i i wasn't sure what to expect but i certainly i'm leaving with some insight so that's been really helpful thank you very much for okay. everyone nice to see you on here thank you um, okay, well, thank you, everyone. Um, so uh, I think the next one we're going to do is going to be friction-free relationships.
Um, so, <laughs> so um, but I'm, I'm moving from weekly and I'm deciding whether it's fortnightly or monthly because, um, so, so basically we've been going for about a year and there's so much stuff and it tends to be like three hours, four hours. And I'm looking at how do we, um, like three hour or four hour recording is too much for anyone to go through. So I'm looking at going through and pulling out the best bits. Um, and it's too much every week. And also we've covered so much that we're just going to kind of loop round. Um, so, so that there's enough space. So it either be two weeks or, or four weeks. Um, but that will be the next one. Can I ask a question here, Rob? Um, yeah, we have gone through a lot of um, a lot of information. We have gone through um, a lot of theory, which for me was eye-opening because, as I tell you, it's not my area of expertise in any way. Um, but we have also brought in. Um, to a, to some degree, our own experiences as much as we are willing to share, etc. But are there any interesting case studies that we could look at that could help us to draw some of these things? And I don't mean complicated things. I mean just like you know, sort of um, issues that we could talk about that would help us to draw things out a little bit, even a little bit more, because sometimes we don't want to talk about ourselves, but if it's a neutral thing, you know, we can pick at it and because it's not anybody's business. It's Miss X and Mr. Y, <laughs> if you know okay. what I mean. Yeah. Just, just some in interesting insights that, you know, like things that, could shed some light. Okay, so so let, let me let me just make sure I'm understanding. So when I used to do groups, um, I used to do quite a lot of moral di dilemma work. So we give them a moral dilemma, set up a, a, a scenario. Is that the kind of thing you mean? So like set up a scenario where people can discuss. Yeah, kind of. You know, sort sort of get your teeth into it in us in in, in a in a way, and um, without it being seen as being a personal attack on anybody, or in you know, but at least it allows you to bring some of what we've done mm. back into the mix and sort of integrate the stuff because we have done them in topics. Yeah, it's different um, different weeks, but it's all integrated it all comes together some in in in, in various ways sometimes you know okay that that um yeah that that so so basically what i'm thinking is um i'm thinking one once a month we'll talk about an idea um share an idea but the other idea i had was to have a session of conversations um i really think that conversations are the key um, it's how we connect and there is some work, um, to, there is some work in showing that the effect that conversations have on our brain in terms of that's how we develop connection, not just sharing information, but developing connection. Um, uh, <clears throat> yes. Yeah, so, so that could be like a conversation session, 
um, or a team project solving thing. Um, yeah, um, I'll think about that. And if you have any ideas, you can you can let me know. Um, in terms of um, contacting um, anyone else, um, if if everyone's on Meetup, you have uh, you can message people if your settings are um, are open. Um, so, uh, but one of the things is here we are um, actually free groups. So there's Bristol, London, and Sheffield. Um, so uh, if you want to put in the chat where which groups you're in, that you'll be able to um, get in touch, or you can get in touch with me, and I'll pass it on to anyone. Okay, um, you can save the chat. Um, so that you've got that, that details. Okay. Um, yeah. So if, if you have any ideas, Sandra or anyone else, um, let me know and then, um, we can work that out. All right. Well, thank you everyone, um, for being here and for sharing and for, um, yeah, sharing experiences and, and all growing together. Um, so I'll see you in, uh, it'll be two, two weeks or four weeks. So have a good month. Thank you. Thank you very much. Have a good that week. Really Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'm going to uh, message you the number as well, Veronica, if that's okay. Yes, I'm yes. Gonna, yeah. I'm going to text you. Is yeah, that okay? Yeah. That's perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Love you. Thank you, everyone. 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 Thank you, every